0: Hello, my friends, Michael Jans, co-founder of Agency Revolution, delighted to be back and delighted to be presenting to you an important episode of the Connected Insurance Podcast presented by Agency Revolution creators of Fuse. Fuse is the insurance marketing software that skyrockets retention, boosts policy per customer and what else could you ask for? Makes your clients love your agency without you having to hire more staff, programmers, technologists. It allows you to create deeper, stronger relationships with your customers and to optimize the value of your book of business. If you haven't done it lately, I'm going to encourage you, please take a moment, make a note to yourself, visit agencyrevolution.com and request a demo. I think you will love what you see and you deserve to see what is there. Boom. Now, I am delighted to be back. Uh, We've taken a break. Life has its adventures, uh, and it's given me an opportunity to really ponder deeply, what are we going to do with this conversation? It's not going to last forever. I'm at the point in my career where I'm absolutely 110% committed to delivering to you meaningful value, the most in this podcast, hopefully many of the most meaningful conversations that you have the opportunity to participate in or to listen to. And I think we did that today uh, with a super agent. Dear friend of mine, client, member of our mastermind group. I know his story. One of the most wonderful, likable, and visionary insurance agents that you'll have the opportunity to meet. Michael DeLaGrange is the CEO of the Insurance Lounge. Very short. Why Why should you want to listen to this conversation? Well, I'll give you the short story. Um, and, and then y- you will learn so much from listening to Michael and to listening how, how his mind thinks and how he thinks about the customer. Uh, Michael inherited an agency that was uh, really a one-person shop, one-person operation, not uncommon. Uh, all of a sudden it was his and it is now an operation with 50 employees. It has attracted um, an agency um, the investment of uh, roughly $20 million in uh, expansion capital Uh, last year doubled in size. It's a $10 million agency now or roughly will be at the end of this year. Uh, Half of that growth was from an acquisition half of the growth was organic growth so if organic growth gets your juices going and the idea of 50 percent growth gets you excited then you'll want to listen to this conversation so uh, before i go um uh, again if it's if it's possible that we've delivered value to you obviously your five-star reviews um would be really meaningful to me Um, And uh, I did reference, in this podcast, I referenced um, my latest book, and in fairness, I'm going to offer a copy of it to you for free. It's digital, so I'm going to get you a free digital copy. Uh, It's called The Book of Insurance Marketing Genius, a Toolkit for Dramatic Growth for Agencies, and I'm not positioning myself as that genius. (laughs) What I had the opportunity to do was to reflect back on those marketing geniuses who really influenced and inspired and um, trained uh, me and trained me and delivered content to me that have been important in my career. Um, I think 17 of them from uh, my relationship with Dan Kennedy to my relationship with Gary Halbert and then also some of the legends who in fact passed away before... Uh, I was active in the industry. So if you'd like a copy of that, email me. I'll get your copy. No strings attached. It's my gift to you. Email me at michael at michaeljans.com. If you want a copy of the book of Insurance Marketing Genius, email me. So now, without further ado, it really is a privilege to invite you to listen to this conversation with the CEO of the Insurance Lounge, Michael De La Grange. Yeah, it's
1: great to be here. It's been some time uh, since we did the last podcast. Uh, it was in person down in your little casita <laughs> there in Arizona, so it's so slightly I, different. But the, but yeah, this you know, is it, slightly different.
0: Yes, not just yeah. the technology. So right, I I had almost forgot to mention that this is an encore. And um, I don't do a lot of those, but this one I thought would be particularly important because it's really, this is really a little bit of a before and after. Um, the last time that we had this conversation, I think it was before you were a member of the mastermind group. Yep. And you said, I, and somehow you fell into my universe and I reached out maybe, or you reached out. In any case, you said, we'd love to do a podcast. Uh, I'll be down there next week or something like that. And so you flew uh, the really maybe the only podcast that I did uh, uh, during five and a half years of operating out of the Casita in Arizona. The maybe the only one that I did live with my guest Mm -hmm. may have done one or two others, but they don't come to mind. Um, And that was a little bit of a a before. Um, You had begun implementing a vision. There's no question about it. But it was the early part of that journey. And as you and I are both aware, there were some challenges and obstacles that kind of stood in our way. Um, and <laughs> in, in retrospect, we could look back at maybe one or two of those obstacles and find humor in them. <laughs> but at, at the time, maybe sometimes it didn't feel that way. Um, Absolutely. So this is an encore. yeah, so here we are. So let's if you'd like to, let's kind of start at the beginning and help us get to know Michael de Lagrange.
1: Yeah, well let's let's go all the way back to the very beginning. I'm born and raised here in Oregon. Uh, a small town called Grants Pass, um, about 30,000 people, so not a very you know, big city or anything like that. But uh, you can't tell because I'm sitting down, but uh, I've always been very big. I'm six 6'7", um, and I was blessed to be able to play football, so I, I had a very successful football career. Got to play at the University of Oregon, hence all the Oregon Ducks stuff behind me and on me you know um if you follow college sports at yeah, all yeah yeah, yeah. Go, go big 10 right uh. yeah i was gonna say we just switched <laughs> conferences so there's a lot of change in the collegiate space i actually also run a nonprofit uh, for the university of oregon called the oregon athlete foundation where we basically take care we're the alumni association for the athletes up there so we do a lot with the university uh, in a lot of different ways maybe we'll talk about that later but but yeah, I, I was able to play football uh, up there, and my whole goal was to go play in the NFL. I mean, as a kid, uh, all the way through you know elementary school, middle school, high school, I just wanted to go play professional football. So I was blessed to get a scholarship and start three years for the Ducks on the offensive line, and everything was kind of lining up to achieve that goal of mine. Um, you know, we finished second in the nation one year where we were winning a lot of games. We had Joey Harrington as our quarterback. So it was kind of, you know, the glory days of Oregon football when we first started winning a lot of games. And, um, the, the one thing that, that totally impacted me to shift my whole life was two weeks after my last football game, my senior year at Oregon. So I was already starting to train for the, the, the combine to try to get drafted. I was projected to be like a fourth or fifth round draft pick. And then my dad passed away totally unexpectedly. So my whole world overnight got turned upside down. So uh, instead of uh, pursuing that NFL dream that I had, I actually decided to move back home to help my mom keep our family business open, which was an insurance brokerage. So my dad was the only agent and my mom was basically his assistant. So at the time I was like, uh, we need to kind of come together as a family and figure out how to keep this business going. Because we didn't really have an insurance background at all. And so I got licensed and started uh, selling insurance. And my mom technically took over the business. So I actually started as a New York life agent because there was a New York life book of business at the time as well. So I sold, you know, life and financial products initially. Uh, But that's how the whole journey got started. I don't know if you want to go into how we got to the insurance lounge piece yet, but that's, that's how the journey started.
0: Well, well, when I think about that agency and the insurance lounge now, uh, it's almost as if they really barely resemble themselves. And, and uh, you know, I have total yeah. respect for what your dad did. There are thousands and thousands of, you know, they really sort of function more like agents than agencies, right? And so your dad exactly. was a full-time agent and, and yep. um, uh, you know, obviously had some, uh, you know, success. And there was a business that was worth saving. Um, but was really quite different. um yeah, so it was what what the focus again was primarily benefits.
1: Yeah, uh, actually mainly life insurance uh, financial products and uh, individual health insurance and Medicare were the main focuses at yeah. that time, okay. yep right yeah, tiny okay. little benefit book, uh, no PNC at all at that time so yeah okay, definitely just okay. just a hometown agent and
0: and 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 now um it is i mean you would i think you would say this is a pnc agency though you've got uh you know a uh, other departments as well i mean now there are some serious other departments but
1: yeah, yeah PNC is know, one yeah. of our biggest lines now for sure as we're currently okay. structured
0: and and just to sort of give a sense of the uh, like the distinction between then and now um how many employees does the lounge have? Almost 50 now. Yeah. Almost okay. 50 employees. Yeah, so, yeah. so things have changed, all right. <laughs> Drastically. Um, so yeah, so, well and so um you know, oftentimes I'm going to put this in a, a bit of a per, bit of perspective. Oftentimes um you know, agents want growth. Okay. I mean, yes, they'd like to go from they'd like to have you know maybe go from one to 50 okay like I want to be 50 times bigger or ten times bigger or five times bigger and oftentimes um th- there's an inclination to like uh, g- grab the tactic uh chase the shiny new thing you know in other words you know maybe back in the day it was oh you know the postcard or the sales letter or, you know, and now maybe it's the email campaign or something like that, but, um, you know, to be, and and, and a lot of people think I'm sort of Mr. Marketing tactic, you know, I know the tricks, I know the techniques, I know the tips, Um, but in order for tactics to really be fully unleashed and, you know, sort of aligned and turbocharged, there's strategy behind it, you know, there's something big behind it. And and you had that you had you had some strategic vision that you felt was going to be transformative. I'm going to turn it over to you to sort of share your insight on that, because, you know, yeah, we could have loaded that little agency up. I don't know how many years ago this was. Yeah, Uh, it was 19 years ago. Nineteen years ago. Okay, so uh, and and I assume that the growth trend line, you know, is not a straight line. It's more of a boom, you know, like oh, there was an inflection yeah. point or two. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That that yes, we we could have thrown, you know, like a little trick on top or a series of tricks on top of a small agency, and clearly we could have grown it, you know, two x three x. But in order to sort of be transformative we really have to fuel that with, uh, with sound strategy. So you had, you had a sense of something big and um, I'm going to ask you to sort of share what that was, but also how did that come about? Right.
1: Well, I'll take you all the way back to 19 years ago when my dad passed away, I had no vision at all with insurance. I didn't really know anything (laughs) about insurance. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I got thrown in this this world of insurance and really didn't understand what I was getting into or what it was all about at all. Um, But, you know, I came from a, you know, a high level sports background where, you know, you, know, you, you better have large goals and aspirations and have the work ethic to achieve those or you're not going to be able to compete. So I kind of jumped in head first and, you know, I was helping my mom initially just to keep the business open, understanding what we're doing, getting licensed, um, trying to understand the insurance world, taking care of our current customers. Um, and then about a year and a half or two years later, you know, my mom was like, okay, I mean, now that you have your feet under you, I'm going to step away because I want to retire and you know, it was a scary moment at the time, but I was excited because it, it was kind of becoming my thing. I I actually ended up buying the book of business that she inherited from my dad at that point. And then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, it's mine. Now what do I do? And it was kind of a, a moment in my life that I was trying to figure out if I wanted to be in the insurance industry long term. I wasn't really sure if I wanted to make this a career at that point in time. But what I I basically told myself is if I'm going to make this a lifelong career for myself. I wanna do it in a way that I would enjoy buying insurance in, in a way that I think others would enjoy buying insurance in. And that's how it initially started the Insurance Lounge concept. Um, I was actually part of a um, innovation committee for New York Life. So they flew me out to these innovation meetings and, you know, uh, if anybody's familiar with New York Life, you know, they're, they're a humongous company and to get anything done in, in that sort of company, um, from from a low level agent perspective, is near impossible. So, but that kind of motivated me initially to kind of start brainstorming internally for my own business, saying, "Hey, why why are we doing you know the things we're doing the way we're doing them?" And I really sat down and said, "Hey, why why can't insurance look different? Why can't it look this way or that way?" So that's what kind of got my you know creative juices flowing initially.
0: Was there something that um, oh, bothered you or some deficiencies you saw in the insurance buying experience that made you think that way?
1: Yeah, I mean, almost every customer doesn't want to talk about insurance. So okay. just seeing <laughs> the hesitancy of of consumers not wanting to deal with it. And I was like, wow, can we somehow change? that you know concept or experience that that consumer has so it was all initially based on how can we make the shopping and buying experience for insurance more consumer friendly that's how the whole concept started and what i i literally just took a piece of paper and wrote all the negative and positive aspects of the traditional agency and the online marketplace and try to really understand the, dif- the different distribution channels of that time to mm-hmm. see if there's a, a way that we could Kind of take the advantages of those distribution channels and create a hybrid. And that's kind of how Insurance Lounge was born, was this this retail format that I thought I could take many of those advantages from each of those formats and combine them into a hybrid.
0: Got it. Okay. And so now, what do you want a a customer of yours, what do you want them to feel about uh, when they buy insurance?
1: Yeah. I mean, just to be honest and no disrespect to the insurance industry, because I, I respect it more than and most, most know, but I don't want them to feel like they're shopping or buying insurance just just because the the traditional experience is not pleasant. It's something, you know, in general, people dread to do. It's, it's not high on their priority list. Like, Ooh, I can't wait to go talk to my insurance agent and go to my insurance agency to deal with this. So I really, I literally wanted it to, to resemble nothing like the traditional experience because in general, people don't enjoy doing that. So I was like, if I could create a format, almost like an Apple store for insurance, where it doesn't look like an insurance office, you know, the people they're talking to, you know, don't sound like an insurance agent. And again, no offense, because I mean, we're we're all insurance agents on here, but I wanted to create an experience that had nothing to do with insurance initially, and all to do with the experience. And then figure out how to tie in the insurance piece to that on the back end.
0: Okay. So in a bit, I want to dive into the the delicious details of how you make that work and how you create uh, an environment um, that people actually enjoy. Uh, but first let's let let's talk about the journey from then to now a little bit um, when, you know, so, so for example, Yeah. I'm thinking that it was probably what, four years ago when you flew to the Casita and we did our first podcast, I'm, Yeah, I'm you know, kind of, kind of feels like it. And yep. so, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I could know sort of exactly depending on like the state of, uh, of remodeling the interior of the house, but <laughs> <laughs> if it was five years, you know, so in any case, um, but I think it was about four years ago. Like then, like you were excited then. But I think even then, you knew that the journey in front of you was going to be difficult. Is that right?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, where we're at today compared to four years ago, it's it's almost night and day. I mean, we a lot of the things that I was trying to achieve were still just visions uh, mm-hmm. and goals at that yeah. point. The great thing is we've executed on a lot of those and they've become reality for the most part. So it's, it's, it's been a really exciting last few years for us, um, not only from, you know, just the investor perspective, which, you know, I'd be more than happy to dive into that if you want me to, but, but also just executing <laughs> on the, the actual distribution model that we were trying to create at that time and, and having some traction in the marketplace around it.
0: Well, here's an unusual characteristic of your agency. You'd mentioned the investor model, so yes, you have uh, investors, and and their commitment to your agency is really fairly significant. Uh, I've interviewed um, dozens of um, uh, industry organizations or CEOs of of startups usually um, who have investors, but all, like I think in almost every other situation, they were tech firms, they were insure techs, right? And so, you know, <laughs> they were insure techs that launched uh, years after I launched Agency Revolution. So they were there in in the period when, you know, sort of money was um uh, uh, of uh, was falling from the, the venture capital sky. Yeah. Um, and so I was used to that, but what's really unusual is that you have uh, investors in you know what basically is let's face it, this is an insurance agency, right? yep this is a, yeah. this is an and yes, we've seen private equity investors purchase agencies and make that part of you know sort of a grand acquisition scheme. But in this case, that's not what's happening. You've got you've got an investor who or or more who are like more like partners, um, but they're not they're not telling you what to do. They're trusting your vision and trusting your leadership. How did that all come about? Yeah,
1: well, I think one thing to point out is, you know, the the huge difference between us and a lot of the insure techs out there. Uh, because I think we're in this weird kind of hybrid model, you know, it's halfway in between an insured type a and an agency right. a little bit from certain aspects. But what we value, what I value when I was creating this format is that personal interaction between the customer and the insurance agent. You know, that's what I I know works. That's what I know people want, you know, and that's where I based our format around that. Even though there's a lot of tech enabled aspects of our format, at the end of the day, you know, I want that customer to be able to talk to a real person and get real advice from an expert. So with that being said, you know, uh, in general, the, the, the retail store concept that, that we created, the ultimate goal of mine was to make basically a national brand in a new way for the consumer to shop and buy insurance. And I knew I couldn't really achieve that, at least in a, a, a relatively, you know, Short time frame without outside money. Uh, it's just the the organic growth would take forever. So that's what inspired me initially to take on investments. Uh, I started with friends and family, um, and that's you know right. just people around me and my network that I've I've befriended and have kind of followed my journey to initially start. Um, who believed in me and what we were trying to create. The the greatest thing also from the investor perspective. It wasn't just a concept. We had revenue. We had some proof of concept at that point. So they're not investing in just an idea. So the risk uh, is much lower because of that. But in general, we, we kind of went on these different stages uh, and, and kind of graduated to our last stage last year to our biggest investment. But started with friends and family, went up to kind of some regional uh, investors. And then last year, we, we took on a, a a very large, you know, like you said, it's not really private equity money. It's not really venture capital money. It's more, you know, right. strategic partner money is what I would call it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's going to allow us to execute on this vision much faster. Um, and I'm unbelievably excited where it's going. But but we, yeah, we took on a fifteen million dollar uh, equity investment last year. So
0: right, and that's not the uh, and as you said, that's not the only investment you had, but that's Correct. the largest. Yep. So I'm going to ask you sort of a a, a, a personal question. Um, I also um, followed a similar journey when I launched Agency Revolution. I recognized that in order for us to scale, it was going to take something which had I known, you know, maybe seven years later would be ubiquitous, that would be outside money. But when we launched it, that was really non-existent for. Uh, the early pioneer insure techs. So I, I also went the family, you know, after the 401k, af, after tapping, you know, yeah, Michael's 401k exactly. case, many, many times, um, it was the friends and family route. And so I, and I, you know, what I felt was uh, at that point, um, it re- this became real. So now I had debt obligations uh, or equity obligations to friends and family. And like from that point on, um, yeah, like um, it, it like uh, the execution, you know, the the strategy, the execution, the tactics, like making it work, that really brought into sort of sharp relief this matters not just to me, right but to my entire network of people that I care deeply about, did you feel that when you were like sort of, you know, cause I, I know yeah. some of the names. I mean, yeah. I, I know some of the names that who were your early supporters they're yeah you know, names that, you know, th- that that would be familiar to people who perhaps follow football in the state of Oregon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, that, no, I that, mean, it's a little bit of an internal game changer, isn't it?
1: No, I, I mean, hindsight looking back, I don't know if I would do it because the pressures that that created and the potential disaster that it also created, I don't know if I realized what I was getting myself into initially. I I really didn't. I mean, obviously it worked out for us, thank goodness, but um, you know, taking money from family and friends and people you really, really care about and don't want to disappoint. And honestly, they all have different objectives and perspectives. I mean, to keep everybody on the same page, the pressures were unbelievable. I mean, I didn't really yeah. understand what I was getting myself into and thank goodness it worked out for us. But uh, wow, if it didn't, it, it would have been absolutely devastating to me
0: because um, you know, those are the people I care about the most. Right. Fully understood. I'm, I'm yeah. sort of pointing that out. I, I'm And I'm with you. I'm not going to encourage, you know, most people to find, and I don't think most people need to. And I think in the agency business, um, in in most cases, uh, the marketplace uh, you can make the marketplace very generous, and it can fund your growth. Yeah. Um, it, you know, at least until you get to um, you know that sort of. If you've got ten years or more, then they can it, before you want to sell it. Then most likely the marketplace can fund most people's growth, um, but there are rare instances where sometimes something else needs to happen. Uh, So now um, uh, looking back, I mean, I I know that there were personally stressful times and that's what um, sometimes that's the burden a leader has to carry. I'm curious about this again, also a little bit of a personal question, but like you said, your um, uh, uh, career, your young career, your, you know, your youth spent in sports, but also in, you know, obviously very serious go Ducks level sports um uh you know was an influence on you um was it you know so you referenced like you know when you're in sports you have to have a vision and if you're you know at high level sports it's basically a big vision which is the ring and nothing else really ma- you know it's like i'm going for the championship yeah um was it also valuable for you um as a, as an entrepreneur where you, you know, sometimes had to draw on, um, internal resources, like deeply on internal resources, you know, grit, discipline, the things that we learn when we're in team sports, did that influence you?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, what I took from high level athletics, um, transition so well to be successful in the business world. I mean, there are so many attributes that transition. And that's honestly why today, you know, one of the the main things my foundation does is help athletes find jobs and careers. And it is so easy to convince entrepreneurs and business owners to hire them because of the attributes that they have and the adversity they overcome and the, the ability to work as a team. There's so many great things that translate from the sports world, especially high level sports to the business world. And I not only have been able to take advantage of that personally, but I continue to help, you know, these athletes do that transition. Um, but, but no, for me personally, I mean, trying to um, compete at a high level sports wise um, you know, we we did win. We won two Pac-10 championships. I don't know if you, I'm actually wearing my Pac-10 <laughs> championship ring.
2: Rest in peace, okay. Pac-10, pa- fist, Pac-12. Fist bump. Falling apart. <laughs>
1: yeah. But, you know, it's a reminder every day to me of the, the blood, sweat, and tears it took to achieve that. You know, I'm a very goal-oriented person. I understand the work ethic that it takes to achieve these really hard goals. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle. I mean, it's easy to come up with ideas or goals. It's, it's a whole other thing to actually achieve them. I mean, putting in the work, the consistency, that, that consistent effort on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. I mean, that's what it really takes. Right. Um, And, and we all have life thrown at us throughout that. So it's really hard to be consistent, but if you can dedicate yourself to achieve the micro goals is what I call them on a, a, a daily or weekly basis, and just focus on that and uh, not always just look at that big goal and be overwhelmed like, oh, I'm never going to get there or never achieve that. It's all these just little steps that take you to get there. And that's what I've kind of applied in my life to be successful is, is break it down beyond just what the goal is, really break it down on what I need to do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to achieve that bigger goal, to make it more
0: manageable
1: and to keep my focus uh, to uh, in an area where I just won't get overwhelmed.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um let's talk about insurance here for yeah. a change. <laughs> let's talk about <laughs> running an insurance a- agency. Yep. And then uh yeah and and I will I I will have some other questions for you about uh culture and support and and you know where you go for your own support but let, let's dive into some of the tactical things here. So yeah. um the proof is in the pudding. Uh this is an agency that um has a strong presence in the state of Oregon. Uh, what do you have five, five stores here? Yeah, five,
1: five locations. Yeah, we have four in Oregon, and then we just have a new one in Las Vegas. So the franchise location, Got it. In Las Vegas. okay. It's,
0: all right, and and yes, and when I say here in Oregon, yeah, for the I, I know that my listeners have been hearing me say here in Arizona for five and a half years, but I am here in Oregon right now, uh, and very happy here in Oregon, but that's that's a different story. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> but, uh, it so the proof's in the pudding, this is an agency that is, so I, I'll, I'll share a story with you. Cause I, you know, I talked to you last week, I think, yeah. um, last fall, we had a conversation. I think it was last fall and, uh, you know, I had asked you like, you know, how's it going? um you know what, what where do you think we're going to end up at the end of the year and you said i think we're going to grow about 50 percent. and i thought uh 50 percent. um that's uh you know that's that's a growth rate that a lot of agencies would kill for um and then when i spoke to you last year or i mean last week uh as i recall you said well uh it's really like double we doubled uh, now you did share with me that half of that was organic and half of that was acquisition. Um, for a moment, let's talk about acquisition. That's something that's yeah. a strategy that yeah, w- was really never part of our, you know, my sort of my ongoing relationship with you. Uh, how did that acquisition come apart, uh, come about? And um, how has how how have you integrated that into the agency?
1: Yeah, great question. So our growth model in general, I'll take a half step back, does include acquisitions, but we're incredibly picky on what that acquisition looks like. So we understand if, if the right opportunity doesn't come up, you know, we're not, our, our growth strategy isn't based around the acquisition model, like a lot of kind of these aggregators out there may be uh, based on. Um, if, if we kind of find the perfect scenario, um, we may entertain that idea. And that's kind of what came up last year. So we had a, an employee actually that came to us who know who knew a business owner actually in Eugene who was looking to sell their book of business, their PNC book of business. And at that time, we, we didn't have a location in Eugene. So our acquisition strategy is based on, you know, the kind of the makeup of the book the geographic location. If we want to expand and open a store there and it kind of checked all of our boxes. So that's kind of why we aggressively pursued that we ended up acquiring that last year. And, um, Actually, earlier this year, we opened a, a physical retail store there. So that was kind of mm-hmm. our our goal is to not only, you know, take over that agency, but transition it into our retail storefront model over time as well. So uh, as we continue to grow, we're looking for agencies that are kind of in our g- geographic footprint to expand uh, storefronts and kind of taking that agency and, and folding it into our insurance on a storefront model.
0: Okay, so let's uh, address that one head on yeah um as as the industry becomes more and more remote um michael de la grange talks more and more about storefronts <laughs> but what so yeah. w- what's interesting is yeah what what you're not talking about are you know so I'll, I'll use other language branches or offices okay we're not talking about the insurance office uh we're talking about storefronts um you know, so, so, for example, one of our newest mastermind members has a as a well-respected agency that's completely remote, okay? We're seeing more of those, and yet, you know, here you are sort of flying in the face of that trend. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that you're not also using um, digital technologies and, you know, sort of the magic of, uh, of contemporary technology to, you know, sort of... Um, Oh, extend the relationship beyond the brick and mortar, but brick and mortar is a core piece of your vision and your strategy. Talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, I think it's the core. And like you said, we have <laughs> you know, other, other things that help with that. And a lot of them are tech enabled and, and stuff like that, especially our e-commerce platform. But again, our whole concept is based on people coming into our retail storefronts and interacting face-to-face with our insurance concierge is what we call them but they're all licensed insurance agents that's one of the things we rebranded is just you know the name of 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 the agent um, because they don't work on a commission and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but um but no our whole concept is based around that one-on-one interaction and um i think it's from my experience and for our format and how we do business and everybody prefers to do business in different ways sure but for us that's what works we tried the remote thing, it doesn't work for us. You know, we didn't have the structure of, you know, efficiencies and accountability. Um, I'm sure for, for some others in different formats, it could work. But what works for us is seeing that customer come in, them having an incredibly unique experience, and then not only having instant credibility of how our stores look and feel, but also uh, the proofs in the putting on the referrals. You know, we do an, very little traditional marketing. You know, a lot of our marketing is our storefronts and stuff like that. And, but our, our, our lead flow through referrals is unbelievable because the, the experience uh, is just so different than, than anything they've experienced in the insurance industry before.
0: Got it. Okay. So let's, uh, 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 let's sort of walk through this. I, I want, yeah I want listeners to get a feeling for this. So Michael Jans is walking down the street in Grants Pass or walking down the street in Beaverton or, you know, wherever you've got stores. And uh, so I see uh, a storefront. It catches my attention. It says the insurance lounge. What is it that you, you know, what, what is it that your consumer sees from the first from the outside because you're sure you're um, you're drawing them into a store maybe they've driven by it or walked by it a hundred times I mean you know that's there's a certain amount of mirror exposure where you know that that's useful it's not necessarily the first time that they walk by but what do they see and what do they experience
1: yeah, well, first first off, kind of to your point, location is key. So we put them ah. in a location that has high visibility, whether foot traffic or drive-by traffic or both. Um, if you don't have that visibility, this model and concept doesn't really work. So first of all, where we choose to put these are usually in kind of uh, metro suburbs uh, in out higher end outdoor mall type areas. So Beaverton, for example. Um, it's next to a higher end grocery store, um, you know, just, you know, those higher end outdoor mall areas. So we have the flow of people already there. And what we determined is we want people to see into our stores to see why it's different. So two or three sides of our stores are always glass. So when we, we, we love the end cap locations where when you're pulling in, it's hard not to see what's going on. So all of our stores have you know, two or three sides of it glass so you can see right in because our stores look so different. And if you don't have that initial visibility, it's going to be really hard for, for that consumer to even understand what's going on. So that's the location, the outside facade with glass being able to see into our stores is is the first kind of thing that we focus on. And then once you walk into our store and we, we put really cool things in the windows too, like motorcycles or watercrafts, kind of depending on, the time of year to also draw people in something again, that you don't really associate with being in an insurance office, but just cool stuff. I mean, just something that will catch the eye. And um, like you said, people come by, you know, 30, 40, 50 times, either walking or driving by initially before they even come in. Sometimes they'll, you know, have something in the mail, like a rate increase or something that might spur them to think about insurance. And what we found is they've driven by or walked by our store so many times that when insurance becomes relevant to them in their life, a lot of times they think about us because we're so prominent. So that will kind of be the initial uh, push to get them in, something like that. And once someone walks through our doors, again, we built this whole consumer experience around having it be um, just not feel like insurance. So you walk in, if you haven't seen one of our stores, I encourage you to go to our website, insurancelounge.com, but it's... It, It doesn't look like insurance. It looks like a lounge. We have a checkout counter where insurance concierge sit. So people don't do business in a private office. It's very, uh, you know, casual on purpose. So people don't feel intimidated to to go in a stuffy little office. Um, Also we have, you know, a TV sitting area which I call our lounge area with nice high-end leather furniture, big 80 inch TV on the wall. So someone can kind of just come hang out, watch sports or whatever. Um, also we have a product wall that kind of highlights the main product offerings, but one of the biggest things is I wanted to be able to help a consumer with any type of insurance they needed. So if they walked in, we would be a one-stop shop. So even though kind of our core products, you know, the home and auto life and health are kind of the things that we highlight. Our goal was to create a shopping experience that can accommodate anyone. So everybody could have everything in one place. Again, the, the insurance concierge doesn't work on a commission, so there's no sales pressure also associated with that. That's a big, I think, competitive advantage that we use because even though uh, I'm sure everybody on this call is incredibly reputable, there is a, a negative connotation when it comes to insurance with a consumer. So kind of bringing down, I, I think, the barrier uh, that a lot of consumers have initially was the goal of ours. Make it comfortable. Make them understand we're not trying to sell you anything. We're just here to help you uh, was the goal and, and, and accessibility. We're open seven days a week, uh, retail type hours. So those are the three huge things that really differentiate us is a one-stop shop for all products. You know, um, no one works on a commission, so there's no sales pressure and you can come in whenever you want before work, after work on the weekend when it's convenient for you. So it's uh, based around the consumer.
0: Talk about the boxes.
1: Yes. So, um, <laughs> It, part of the initial um, concept of insurance lounges is, is how, how do we make the consumer more comfortable also when they're buying something that's not tangible? And that was something that you know I was trying to brainstorm around, and I came up with this idea of creating a box of insurance that would make insurance tangible. So when someone walked in to purchase something and they spend thousands of dollars on their insurance, they could actually walk out their door and touch and feel what they bought. So uh, this goes way back to, honestly, before we even opened our first store, I was playing around with this idea of, of creating uh, product boxes for each type of insurance product we sold that was represented in a 3D box that they could carry out with them, not just the typical folder of insurance or the bunch of papers when you walk out or even the digital copies that are emailed to you we wanted to have that tangible experience. So the consumer felt like, okay, this represents all the money I just spent. So long story short, we spent years actually getting a a box of insurance patented. So we actually own a box of insurance, (laughs) which is kind of cool. Uh, Initially, I wasn't sure if this was just going to be something that, you know, was laughed off or the consumer didn't really like, but what we found is our, our consumers love it. They love walking out of our stores with something that represents what they just purchased. Also, they put it on their, their bookshelf. And when they have the renewals, they just grab it because they keep all their insurance in one place. But we have home auto life, health investment. We have all the, all the different products we sell. We have boxes that represent that product. So not only does it uh, have a visual representation, it's, it has a sleeve in it. You can open it up, put stuff inside of it, has all of our branding on the back and kind of highlights our competitive advantages as well. So, It's been really fun. Uh, There's actually another little wrinkle to that story, which I I think is is fun to mention now that it kind of came out on the other end in a positive way. Early on, when we started putting boxes on the wall, um, there's an insurance company that came knocking on our door saying, hey, that kind (laughs) of looks like our commercials. So if if you're saying, hey, uh, Progressive Insurance also had that idea, you're you're kind of half right there. So long story. Michael short, Taylor it first. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's it's kind of funny uh, because obviously we sold Progressive. We, we were one of their top agents here in Oregon at the time, and it, it kind of got really scary really fast because this was early on when I was as growing Insurance Lounge. Very early on when I only had a couple locations and progressive comes knocking on your door and all of a sudden you're dealing with like the leadership team, that progressive saying, Hey, we're not okay with you having these boxes. We have commercials that have these boxes. What they didn't know is I already had it patented though. So, uh, in our patent application actually referenced their commercials, which was hilarious. So long story short, without going through all the details, we came to a very amicable, uh, conclusion to that. Uh, and we're both happy, <laughs> I, I think at this point, but but it was just it was a very scary time uh, for us being, you know, you know, a billion dollar insurance company being unhappy with something you're doing and threatening <laughs> suing <laughs> you. basically,
0: and, and, yeah. and one of your carriers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, <you're... laughs> so it was very <laughs> okay.
1: awkward. Um, but anyways, for us, that is one of our key uh, client experience is, is that box. We use it with every single customer that we sell. We also use it in some really cool outward marketing to our boxes that we've started recently that we've had a lot of success with. So if anybody wants to buy a box, maybe we can license it out for some marketing purposes, but <laughs> right. the cool thing is we own a box of insurance.
0: Okay. Um, so I, ha- I have a couple of questions um, and then um, very shortly, I'd like to open this up for um, audience members to ask questions that they've got. But I have a couple of really, to me, really important questions. Um, first one, in your heart of hearts, Michael, when a, cu- when, when a customer thinks of the insurance lounge, what do you want them to feel? And, uh, and, and I'm I, asking that, I know, look, yeah. this is a weird, I'll, 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 I'll be the first to admit that this is a weird question in the insurance industry, kind of, Uh, Because it's, you know, we're we're so focused on policy management, and we're so focused on, you know, um, uh, uh, data, and, you know, the legalities and the contract. And, um, and and yet, you know, clearly, you had an insight that uh, the the customer is a person. Um, And if I want a relationship, and I want them to honor the relationship or feel good about the relationship, I, I need to reach deeper into them. Uh, you know, we also are an industry that is sort of suffers from, you know, the, the uh, really good retention. Yeah. I mean, really good persistency of customers compared to a lot of other industries, but the intangibility of it and the fact that it usually doesn't renew for a year. Um, we have a history of kind of ignoring customers for 11 months out of the year unless they want something um so you you really um you know like i know that sort of those old those that kind of old oh old school way of thinking about the customer relationship is not was never acceptable to you when you so i'm going to get back to that question when you when a customer thinks of the insurance lounge what do you want them to feel well i think first off the thing I don't
1: want them to feel is anxiety or pressure, because I think that's what a lot of people think initially when they think about insurance. Like, hey, I have to get this done. I'm unsure about this. It's just an added pressure to their life. So to kind of look at the opposite side of that question, I wanted to start there because that's kind of how it all started. It's like, let's not have the consumer have that overwhelming feelings when they need to deal with their insurance. Uh, The way that we have done that, besides the things that I've already mentioned is we have really done a good job. I think of building a team mentality when it comes to how we interact with our customers. I think the biggest thing that we teach our insurance concierge is, is to really not only highlight those competitive advantages that I talked about earlier, but really let the consumer know that the way we do business here at insurance lounge, we're a team. You can call me or anybody at any point. So whoever they purchase their insurance through, We really set them up initially, not only having them understand that they can call any of us at any time to get help on any of their insurance products they have with us, but also through some of our tech-enabled platforms and our self-service platforms that we've created as well online through our app and uh, and other things. So I think by doing that and really being um, upfront and educating the customer on how we operate and how we're different has really helped us, I think, take that anxiety off of the consumer when when things aren't going the right way or they need to do a change or have a claim or or anything like that.
0: Okay. Uh, My next question is about Michael De La Grange. Um, Well, you uh, you still have the burden of running it. Now it's a $10 million revenue agency. Uh, I realize that some of the stresses of yesteryear are perhaps behind us, but you know, you still have, uh, you're still the CEO and the leader of uh, of an agency that has even bigger visions about where it wants to go. Like you said, national wouldn't be too bad. Um, and you've got now also expectations from investors and, you know, they need to be satisfied and they need to be yep. realized. What, what do you do? Where do you go? How do you get support for you? Uh, how do you get uh, in, uh, ideas? Uh, how do you get uh, you know, that's sort of that, that that's the sense of confidence and inspiration that an entrepreneur needs day to day.
1: Yeah, I, I think what I have done ever since the beginning is surround myself with successful people, positive, successful people, you know, businesses, business owners and entrepreneurs who I want to be like. I've done a really good job at that. I think one of the biggest things uh, industry specific I have done is actually join your mastermind. It has been invaluable to me to be around other people in the industry. I come from a very small town, so I don't have anybody local. I can really bounce ideas off of, especially when they're insurance specific. So uh, I think, you know, um, having that relationship has been absolutely invaluable to me. As you know, um, maybe not everybody knows on this. This uh, Zoom that we're doing, but my last podcast that I did with you is how our current investor heard about us. So even just having that association, it it got me on the radar of the people who ended up investing fifteen million dollars last year into us. So, so what I would say is just surround yourself with the people you want to be like. Make a proactive effort uh, to befriend them, to pick their brain. That is exactly what I have done and it has paid absolute dividends. And then having that relationship where I can reach out to you or anybody on, on your team, um, it, has been, it has been amazing because I just haven't had that outlet um, You know, here in Oregon. It's just like you're in this really small community and it's really great to hear how others are doing things in different areas of the US. Uh, and, and different insurance agencies, because we're all different, right? We all focus on different products and different markets. So having that exposure has been absolutely invaluable.
0: Got it. Okay. Thank you, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So so um, for, for those in the audience, if you are curious about whether or not, I, I do have openings in the group. So for those of you who are curious uh, about whether or not this is something that will work for you, I'm going to ask Brittany to Put a link to my calendar so we can talk about it and explore that. But I I want to ask you. um, So, uh, as people now, last question, um, as people are sort of, uh, if they have questions, kind of formulating them, I'm going to ask you one last question. Um, So, at this point in time, um, you know, a, a, a journey that has really borne some fruit. Um, And a vision that um, I think has even further future ramifications on the industry. Um, Yeah, we have listeners from uh, on this call. And when this gets published in a podcast, you know, that will be, you know, throughout at least throughout North America, Um, different kinds of agencies, different sizes of agencies, different um, uh, areas of focus. Uh, At the core, what advice, what do you want to pass on to the agency principal of today?
1: Yeah, I mean, first, you got to look inside yourself and understand what you want. I mean, I don't advise everybody to try to follow my path. I mean, my path has been incredibly difficult. I could have been very successful running a small hometown agency with one location. Unfortunately, my ambition and what I want to achieve didn't align with that. So I think the very first thing you need to ask yourself is look inside and say, what what do you really want to accomplish? And is it worth it? I mean, again, I don't recommend everybody trying to be the biggest and the best because there are definitely trade-offs to that. I mean, there's been a ton of sacrifices I've made in my life to get to where I am today with, with the agency. And I know where we're going, that's going to continue. And I always have to analyze, is it worth it? And it is very difficult. I'm, I'm married with two kids. You know, family is very important to me. My kids are the most important thing in the world. So trying to balance everything in my life, I have other businesses like nonprofits that I run. So I have to always determine, okay, does this align? Does my goal align with what I want my life to really be like? So all the agency owners out there, if you want to grow, Just make sure the trade-offs are growing are worth the sacrifices you need to do to get there. That's what I would say.
0: Got it. All right. Uh, So at this point in time, thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to turn to the audience to see if anybody has any questions about anything that Michael's covered here. uh, Or if there's a question for me, I can take that too. Um, So if you would, um, you can either chat like you want to raise your hand like you got a question or you can raise your hand digitally um, or uh, yeah, conceivably if we can see you, um, you can like raise your hand on your camera and we'll call on you so boom. Um, yep, Cherie said, "Hope to see you, Mike, in October. That's our next I'm planning on dating. it. Yeah, so, I'm planning. Okay. On <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a good one. I'm really excited about it. Okay. Um, and Cherise, I might, I might see. come by and say
1: hi. I might be heading to uh, Sun River next week, so I might pop in and say hi. Oh, marvelous. (laughs) Oh, okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, so boom. Yeah. I'll ask. I'm going to look at the audience to see if anybody has any questions. So we do, we got questions that are showing up here also. Um, I'm going to ask, uh, well, while this is happening, uh, Al Papillardo is going to be first. Um, I'm going to ask Brittany, if you could provide a link to, um, my new book on. Um,
2: already did. It's in
0: all chat. Right. Oh, it's in chat. Cool, super duper. Uh, boom, Al Papillardo.
2: Sure, thanks. Uh, I'm wondering whether or not you've measured retention. Um, sure you have because you're in this group um, and, and how you're seeing that retention with people who are just walk-in clients I got to imagine their, their existing agents are, or, or, well, maybe they, they're not, not all agents are going to go after their customers that leave them, but I, I'm just wondering what you can tell us about the retention on this type of business.
1: Yeah, great question. So our format, our retention uh, compared to our traditional agency to when we actually went into the retail type format is the same. Um, it Partly because of how we operate, we take a lot of the traditional, I think, uh, operating mindset of a traditional agency of that relationship, no matter how that customer comes to us. I think that's super important. There's a ton of very important things we took from what I call the traditional model and still use those today. Because again, it's all about that customer, not only experience, but relationship. So um, our retention, it's not the best in the world, but it's probably industry standard in general. Um, but it, it didn't go down once we started the, that retail format. I think what we could definitely get better in that area, but we've been so focused on client acquisition. We haven't had enough resources, I think dedicated to that side of our business yet. So that is one area we're actually looking to grow is, is having some more, um, I'd say, customer licensed customer service people on, on the retention side. But overall, I mean, it, it has not dropped off. The, the quality of uh, customer that we get um, is is fantastic, uh, partly because of where our stores are and how they look.
2: So and I'm, I'm going to follow uh, up on uh, that uh,
0: one, uh, and then let me jump in and then back to Al. Um, I'm, I'm just going to follow up on Michael's comment. Ask us in a year, okay? Uh, ask because I think I, I know that there are some um, strategies and tactics that we can put into place in Michael's agency. That's that's going to increase retention, which haven't been done. And, and as he said, I mean, typically with an established book of business um, as an advisor, I, I typically will say, let's invest in the existing book of business first, because there's so much there waiting to be tapped. Michael was sons. It was on such a tear with expansion, with new stores, with getting investors that you know my normal sequence got a little bit disrupted uh, I think we are clearly and I think Michael will agree we're at the point here where the lounge is uh, really prepared to optimize its, its existing book of business with increased policy per customer count um, probably formalizing the referral process up another notch even though it's already good and retention so boom ask us in a year. Um, Because I think then we'll have a better apples to apples comparison, you know, how, how is that kind of customer responding with persistency um, compared to a a different kind of an agency um, when they're both doing sort of the same level of nurturing. So, boom, there we go. All right. Okay. Now, Al, back to you. And
1: one thing just to add to that, Michael, is, you know, client acquisition is one of the easiest things that we do and that's not normal for this (laughs) agency model. So we kind of have different focuses than maybe a traditional agency would, but, but like Michael pointed out, there are some very basic things that we are not doing great right now. So that's, what's so exciting for me is, you know, we're, we're doing so many things, but just taking a step back and focusing on some of the basics will even help us grow even, even faster.
2: And and are you tracking by any chance? And and maybe it's something that you don't need to track, or maybe you do. The people that continue to come back versus call you when they have a question, or, or are you designing them once they sell to call for a customer service after? You know, are you are you tracking that or seeing the difference between? To me, that's two different customers, and we all have them in our agencies. The ones that have yeah. to come in and drop off a check no matter how many times you tell them you can do it all remotely now. Um, Yeah. Versus are you, are you finding, and then if you are tracking it, are you finding that it's the older generations are the ones that are coming in all the time versus the younger that aren't?
1: Yeah. Great question. I, again, I think this comes with, you know, education in our model. We really set a standard with our customer of how we operate and kind of almost dictate how they need to do business with us, which has been very helpful. I mean, because it's setting just a, a standard expectation. This is how we do things. We're different, not only because of all these other things, but we're different because because of this, like how we, we we service our customers too. So we really, I don't want to say force, but we basically force people to do the you know business the way we want to do business. And I understand that doesn't work for everybody, but for us in terms of efficiencies, it, I think has been absolutely critical. And to take a half step back, we tra- we track so much data now; it's almost overwhelming. Um, we've over the last year put in so many um, uh, opportunities to to gather information and make informed decisions off of. And this this is something relatively new for us that I would highly encourage if if you don't track, you know, all these different metrics. It, Once you understand how to gather the right data, it will be so, so much more efficient to make informed decisions off of. And that's kind of where the stage we're at. Over, if you asked me a couple of years ago, I mean, there were so many things I didn't know about my business. We didn't have, I mean, a lot of it was intuitive. Yes, we we can kind of guess here and there, but now we have real-time data on so many factors that I get to meet with my executive team with on a weekly basis, and we can really form where we're spending resources and time. So um, it's been invaluable for us uh, how we operate, but 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 we force this basically, this is how we do business. And it's it's been very helpful, even though it doesn't work for everybody.
0: Great, thanks. Okay, uh, back to the audience. We'll see if there are any more questions. You can either raise your hand uh, digitally or you can raise your hand um, on your camera and we'll see it if you have your camera on. So... I will count down five, four, three, two. I don't see any more questions at oh, this I, point. I saw one just so, pop
1: up here. Oh, cool. Okay. Sure, you just cool. said, what are we using to track that? Ah. Um, so we we use a lot of different um, things to track that. Um, we're getting more and more involved. We use um, Applied Epic is our our main CRM which tracks a lot of it. But we also track a lot of these stats outside of that, because we all know every CRM has its positives and negatives and quirks. Um, so what we, we've we done over the last year, we, we basically have doubled down saying, okay, what can our CRM track accurately? And we, what are the other things we want to know that it doesn't track accurately, um, but we really want to understand? So honestly, initially, probably about half of the things we were tracking manually. It was, it was expensive. We basically had a full-time person uh, reporting off this data for us. Uh, over time, that's gotten more and more efficient for us, but we still track things manually because the CRMs aren't built the way we want them to be operating for us. So it's kind of a mixed bag of, of how we collect that data.
0: Along the lines of technology, uh, Michael, what are the core uh, technologies in your tech stack? Besides, you'd mentioned your uh, agency management system, supplied Epic. Beyond yep. that, what are the other what are the other technologies that you rely on? I mean, on?
1: I think the biggest thing that has been incredibly helpful for us that has taken a lot of time and resources, honestly, is our fully. Uh, API driven quoting platform. So I, I determined that I wanted to build a, a full e-commerce platform for people to shop and buy insurance online. So we've, re- even though we haven't talked about it, that is a core piece of our business as well that complements our storefronts. Um, it does stand alone sometimes, but the main way we currently use it is to have someone start the shopping experience on our e-commerce platform and hopefully drive them into one of our local insurance lounges but we really spent the time to make the online shopping experience um, convenient um, through APIs. And if you're not familiar with APIs, it just allows you to control data and customize uh, basically a consumer's experience. Um, that's probably the other biggest one. We also have um, artificial intelligence chat bots on our our website that has been very fruitful. People can actually go through the quoting experience and uh, feel like you're talking to someone and they ask you intuitive questions to get you uh, rates, which is really cool. Um, and then we use a ton of other uh, software platforms to just make our lives easier. Um, it's not, we're not doing them just to, because we want to be a tech firm or anything like that. If we see something that can make things more efficient, we try it. So that's, we've continued to do that as a, a company. And it, it'd probably be a list of 20, 20 different software platforms long if I were to go through all of them. But but yeah, I mean, those are the two main ones that we use as our CRM. Through Applied Epic, and then building our basically our own custom,
0: you know, e-commerce platform. Got it. Uh, am I right uh, in, in your list of uh, of those other software platforms? Agency Revolution is it is the that is uh, that is uh, yeah, one your of yes. uh, marketing automation platform. Okay. Absolutely. Well, they're the, they're they're sponsoring this podcast, so they, they oh there you go. So we're they, we're a they, client they, they deserve is, me to be awake enough to remember to mention yes. their name. <laughs> All right. Got it. Um. Michael La Grange, I want to thank you for your generosity um, and for sharing your success and your story and uh, also congratulate, uh, congratulate you on, um, well, on, on the success, but also on uh, the execution of, of a vision that I think is really worth standing for. So thank you, thank you for that.
1: Well, I, I want to thank you and everybody on this uh, this podcast for the time. If anybody wants to reach out to me, feel free. And probably the best way is my Instagram. It's DLA, 7742, D-E-L-A. So if you want to reach out uh, on there, I'll get back to you. Um, love to chat with any of you if, if there's questions that come up after the fact, too. So th- thanks, uh, everybody, for your time. And, and Michael, again, thanks for every, everything that you've done for me.
0: Bingo. All right, everybody. Have a terrific day. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks, everyone.